0: Welcome to the Ladies Who Launch. Join Alyssa and Dakota every other Wednesday as we launch conversations about the chaos that is life. Tune in every other Wednesday and don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating.
1: Hi, Dakota. How are you today? Good. How are you, Alyssa? Good. How's uh apartment um, life?
0: It's good, you know. I just started drinking oat milk, and this like first splash of oat milk has lasted me three coffees. So I would say life is pretty good on this Friday. Um, That's my highlight of my day so
1: far. So you know, this is where we are in life, and we're excited about oat milk. I mean, this is this is what's happening. Anyway, um, we're back for another episode of Ladies Who Launch, and we have an awesome guest today who is um, one of my favorite people on the planet, but. We'll get to her in a second, but um, as we do with all of our recordings, uh, we're going to start with a lady rant, but today's going to be a little different because in honor of our guest, I'm going to actually reveal what the um, history or the, the, the incantation of the original lady rant was and is and how the lady rant came to be. So, uh, our guest, as I said, is one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, She and I um, made a trip to India about, I don't know, four or five years ago now, I guess. And um, some of the people on the trip um, were some very well-to-do ladies uh, who had some very particular feelings about things on a daily basis about what was happening or how things were going. So, in order for us to say, stay sane, we realized very quickly that we needed some way to unload all of the issues that had taken place that day. So the lady rat was born. And basically, at the end of every day during this trip to India, we would race to the hotel room. And as we were like peeling off our like wet and gross and sticky clothes, we'd be like, lady rat, lady rat. And we would have to, like, release all of the pent-up crazy that had taken place that day just in order to, like, be (laughs) civil humans. So that is the origin of the lady rant. And five years later, we still lady rant. I mean, even on this podcast, we lady rant. But that was the origins in um, hotel rooms of India as we ranted about the... um, interesting people that we were on this trip with so there you go and you know what
0: Alyssa your uh, traveling to India story is probably one of my favorite stories ever from you in fact we should probably do a podcast on just that and traveling in general (laughs) with your (laughs) Betsy as another (laughs) podcast but uh, yeah I'm super happy that we use the lady rat to this day so thanks Karen yeah (laughs) yeah
1: so anyway um Being that we've chatted about the Lady Rant and my most favorite person on the planet, I am going to introduce our guest today, who is probably, in my mind, um, the most preeminent voice of culture in the province of Alberta. She has worked in culture for over 20 years in the province. She um, <clears throat> created and opened the habit, arts habitat in, in Edmonton, um, opened the Wind Spirit Center in Edmonton, worked for the Bounce Center, um, Alberta College of Art and Design, which is now whatever, Alberta Arts University, or whatever it is now. Um, Calgary Arts Development, she sat on the Premier's Council for, for Culture in the province, and just as a general wealth of knowledge about arts culture and community engagement and investment in the province and as i said earlier she's also my best friend so that just means she's more awesome let's be honest so uh, welcome karen ball to the ladies who launch podcast and i will also indicate i will also say we also might get into this conversation because karen actually named this podcast on the back of a motorbike in california so we can chat about that later as well but
0: anyway welcome to my bestie Welcome great to Karen. be here.
2: <laughs> Thank you for coming on Karen. <clears throat> great to be here. I just had to mute my microphone so I wasn't like howling with laughter with the memory of like walking into an India hotel room in plus 42 degrees and like stripping all manner of soaking hot clothes and bras off just like okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, yeah. I, yeah.
1: There are so many stories. And Dakota's right, we'll have to have a whole travel story because there's whole stories around our trip to Europe as well. And I know Dakota <laughs> has, trip, has stories of her trip to Europe um, solo. And so I think, yeah, general travel stories um, are, are underway. But anyway, thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, what we want to talk to you about, I mean, obviously your the cultural Maven. I'm just. Gonna, I'm going to call you that because really, why can't I? I but <laughs> we are starting now to talk about how we're transitioning into this sort of new economy or new world of of, of business and um, leadership and all those sorts of things coming out of the pandemic. And you have some very interesting takes on um, the city of Calgary and how it fits in this new world and what it what it will look like coming out of that and so first of all just share some thoughts on, on how you see Calgary coming out of this and what that what that looks like.
2: Okay well I mean it, it is kind of interesting because it's a global pandemic so I guess some of these questions are universal for every community but specifically because Calgary has had such an economic beating and since we have such a uh, primary focus on oil and gas that we can pretty much assume um, isn't going to hold the same place as it did pre COVID. I think we're in like a, a incredibly unique opportunity as a city coming out of it. I think that no one knows <laughs> what it's going to look like when we come out of this. Um, but just now even thinking about who's actually innovating in this space. So when I look around for where the innovators are, and I'm not talking about like Shell donating personal protective equipment. That's awesome, but it's not innovative. What are they doing outside of that that's innovative? How are these big companies contributing in an innovative way? You know, I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing things like Uh, Lourdes Juan uh, organizing drop-off of restaurant food and Julie Van Rosendahl creating um, hot lunches for people in neighborhoods. And, you know, uh, Matt Masters standing on top of his minivan uh, giving (laughs) curbside concerts. Like, I actually think that almost all of the innovation we're seeing right now has nothing to do with... Restarting the economy and everything to do with economies of scale that help people equally across the city. And those are where the innovators are. And those same people, in my opinion, have just as much merit to innovate where the economy goes next as they do to innovate where the community goes next. But there's a massive divide in Calgary between who's at the table when we have these two conversations. So, the social sector is really good in Calgary at bringing in Calgary economic development and business leaders and the chamber and sort of creating these collaborative conversations about how to help. United Way is a perfect example of like business leaders working to help the most vulnerable. But where around the um, new economy tables, the new leadership tables, are the voices of innovation on the other side, are the people that understand how you motivate a community, how people t- come together, what the value and worth of that is. And I think it was, I'm still kind of, I still have a bit of PTSD about the Olympics. So, but one of the things kind of, now that it's in the rear view mirror that I took away as a massive, massive learning was that for a very long time, Inside the process, the process was so big and so cumbersome and coming. And, you know, it was about the IOC and the international players and what we needed to do and who the businesses were and who the political leaders were that nobody wanted to talk about what people wanted. (laughs) Like, it was really hard to have a conversation about what this would mean for someone in their neighborhood. Yeah, or in their community, or what this would mean for a family that just moved here from Sri Lanka and their kids that don't even know what hockey is, or, you know, what this would mean for Calgary's most vulnerable population that lived within one mile of every Olympic site that was identified. So those conversations weren't happening at all. I was at those tables and couldn't get those conversations on the table, and I was way more privileged than most people, because I was sitting at that table, and I just thought, you know, this is a group of uh, of people in a process that is going to fail because ultimately our success is based on our people, and so the Olympics, like, is a microcosmic kind of example that I experienced where actually people matter, <laughs> and if you don't engineer your processes with people at the center, people will take your processes off the rails. It's not going to work. And so we have to think the same way about what restarting Calgary looks like and where where our values are, not just in the C-suite of the offices, but Everywhere because Alyssa, we've talked about this a lot, and I'm sure you've talked with Dakota about this. I think I've heard it on the podcast before. Like if you aggregate all the micro businesses, yeah, all the solopreneurs, all the small businesses, that impact is massive. That's enough impact to restart an economy. But those people are so fractured because they are a series of micro businesses and solopreneurs. There isn't like an identified leader. It's not easy to say, "Oh, let's, We should get Alyssa in this conversation because she can speak for all of these people. You actually have to. You, you have to not want to get to a yes. <laughs> you have right. To kind of yeah. Want to get to a space where people can talk, and getting to a space where people can talk versus getting to a yes are very different processes. Uh, the, the first involves fully relinquishing control like the only control you have over is over how you protect the space so that people can talk how welcoming the space is but how do you get to
1: that place because i think that's the biggest frustration that that we're well i'm seeing in the city right now um with with some of the initiatives that come out like there was some website that's come out where business people can put like get like we're all in this together type videos on it but it's all the same people it's all just a bunch of old white dudes and how do you how do we as the sort of uh, millennial gen x generation start pushing those people out of the way like in the best way possible but i'm sorry but those people aren't the arbiters of the next new economy, but yet they're still put at the forefront as though they're the voices that we should all be looking up to or considering. But like, how do we as 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 the actual new economy start pushing them out in a, obviously not pushing them out certain way, but in, in a way that we're asserting our leadership now, which is what we should be doing, but how? Yeah,
2: it's interesting because I think it's kind of, Two things. One is, does it matter if we're not at that table? Because that table might fail anyway. Someone decided to launch that site because they wanted to do something. And I don't disparage like the wanting to do something. I think we all feel that way. And then they obviously they invited those leaders because I don't think like Dr. Cannon or Steve Allen were like, Oh, I'm going to record a video and (laughs) just randomly put it on clearly, they were asked to front that and just the just the act of inviting those people to be the first is exclusive yeah it it's a wall so they built a site for everyone and then they put a wall in front of it by saying well it's for everyone but we're inviting these people and these people are the people you would expect and they're not you or me they're no. these people that we already have identified as our leaders i mean the fact that like a considerable number of them are retired. Um, <laughs> many of them have never started a business before. They're leading businesses, but they've never started a business before. They've never built something from the ground up. Is um, It shows that the the way in which they're selecting those people is they're looking for the wrong things. If they really want... <laughs> to make it feel like if what they say they want to do is what they want to do, then that's not the, I would say, that's not the right way to go about it. The right way to go about it is to not invite people specific, to not sit down around a table and say, okay, who do we know that are leaders?
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
2: But you've already lost when you do that in that kind of thing. So that's one thing, like, does it even matter because maybe the solopreneurs and, and, Micro businesses should just have their own conversation. And that conversation can happen with the leaders, in air quotes, of Calgary. That's fine. The bigger question is, who has the ear of policymakers and of people that are actually going to be able to sway investment and actually be able to um, create programs that serve solopreneurs and micro businesses. It's been difficult from the beginning federally. To, and I think we're seeing that the, the way that the um, social assistance funding has been rolled out, the CREB, is that the federal government is learning every single step of the way. It's like, "Oh shit, we're well, giving people $2,000 a month, but artists sometimes make $5,000 and that's all they make for 6 months." Yeah. So now you can prorate as I understand it, you can sort of prorate over time. So that helps like people like you and me. Yeah. I might I might make half my year in one month, but then I make nothing. So, you know, this is the situation. So they're like it's sad that we didn't have a better handle on what actually is happening in our economy and how people are actually working and how to talk to them and how to respond to them. But one of the reasons we don't is because policymakers and decision makers aren't tapped into that. There's no way to get to their ear. Like, Hmm. do I think that when someone from Calgary Economic Development goes and talks to the mayor's office or the city they're talking about me when they talk about economic development. No. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and do I expect them to, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. I think probably more than they have, but um, yeah, it's, it's more about that, but it's interesting to me because I think what's more interesting is the, does it matter? Like, Let's say we had micro grants and there was seed funding, like, you know, the 80-20 rule, like 20% of the investment is actually going to make 80% of the impact. Right. 80% of the investment is going to make 20% of the impact but it's necessary. I'll, I'll give you an example. Like in the Olympics, 80% of what you spend on an Olympic Games is like, necessary. It's um, transportation, it's security, it's ticketing and systems that all disappear afterwards. They don't leave any residual benefit. Spending, you know, 30% of the overall budget on security doesn't leave any residual benefit. Put some money into RCMP hands. But 20% of the investment is affordable housing and is programs for arts and is athlete training and is on the podium, and And because the investment is so huge, because it's a billion dollars or billions of dollars, that 20% is more money than those sectors see any other time. And it actually does create 80% of the impact long-term over having an Olympics in that example. So if there's some post-COVID investment, can we like think about, or if there's $100 million that um, CED has to do economic innovation, then can we take 20% of that $100 million, you know, and, and like, can we take $20 million and put it into micropreneurs, solopreneurs, small businesses, combined marketing for mom and pop restaurants, web services for um, creatives, like all that stuff. Because that $20 million probably will do more than the $80 million to bring a call center here or a tech company here or these kinds of things. They're job creators, that 80. But the 20 is, it's it's um, ripple effects are going to be long-term and, and I think make a huge impact. So yeah. um, that's what well, I'm looking for now. Yeah,
0: I think that point is really important because... With the losses we're facing now from COVID, even with just the cancellation of stampede and events that really feed our economy, we need to be thinking about other things too. And I think that's the, been the problem with Alberta since day one is, unfortunately, a lot of the leadership is very narrow-minded. It's It's, it's been an old white man's club for so long. Um, and you know now we're being really tested to to actually be innovative and to really step outside of our comfort zone. Um, And honestly, like, I don't see it as a bad thing at all. Um, It's challenging for sure, but I am am excited to see what comes out of this, what this is going to do, what it's going to change. So,
2: yeah. And then there's another kind of thing about what I think it's going to change, which is how we see community. Mm -hmm. So Calgary on the first point, Calgary is screwed because, we have a, a, a solo vision of our economy tied to oil and gas, and oil and gas anyone that's worked inside oil and gas will know that it these companies are set up like monarchies you know ah interesting <laughs> a king at the top and then there's a fiefdom and a castle and then they're right so if you're even if you're a middle manager, you've got like seven layers of managers above you sure. and so they're not. By structure, they're not designed to be innovators. No. So that's one thing. So we live in that economic reality in Calgary, and those kings or queens in some very rare instances are our leaders. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that also get the board chair appointments, et cetera, et cetera. So we're we're in a sort of a closed system of what how we define leadership here. So that's the problem economically. And not that we need to dethrone those leaders, but we need to put a crack in that and say, like we want a, we, the thin wedge is 20 percent of what you're doing for everything else, and and it's going to be handled in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And it I mean, totally different. like not even like, oh, we're going to get a table of 35 to 55 year- olds who are innovators together to decide. I mean, like maybe everyone decides, maybe it's all. Mm-hmm crowd-directed, I don't know, but different. Yeah. Um, so that's why we suck at stuff like that, I think. Because oil and gas yeah, is true. like the yeah. thing in the military. Yeah. Uh, but why we should be able to excel is because we actually have political leaders at the municipal level that are really innovative, mm-hmm. probably can support that, including our mayor. And we have... A community of engineers, and you know this, Alyssa, we've called it Calgary's nerdy goodness. Like We just have so many innovative, thoughtful people that may be sitting at the bottom rung of a junior oil and gas company, but they could have the next idea for something really great in Calgary. And we have tons of solopreneurs and micropreneurs because we're all children of married to attached to oil and gas and and mm-hmm. you know you have to be honest that's created a nice safety net for a lot of creative people for a long time because it's still a luxury mm-hmm. to start a business to be an artist all of these things you still need some sort of a safety net for the most part and Calgary has that because had this good economy for a long time but then on the other side it's like what does that mean for communities so not the economy, but other things that we value. And I think that's the conversation I've been thinking about most these days is like how happy I am to live on a street where I know like seven neighbors by their first name on my street and not just know them, but have their phone numbers, can text them, um, can sit 10 meters away from them on a street corner and have a conversation, see them at the grocery store. Like that to me is more valuable right now than almost anything else. And Calgary is really good at that when we do it because we're Mm -hmm. volunteers. We care because we do connect to one another because we come from all kinds of other different places. We all sort of at the same time crave a home and (laughs) make a home, you know? Um, But we also suck at it because we have thousands of people that live in communities with drive-in front garages and no neighborhood store and no, you know, place for people just to sit and bump into each other. Mm -hmm. Major super pathways, which are awesome, but they're also major super pathways. They're not the town square, the park down the road. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we have a physical problem in Calgary, I think in the next, whatever's post COVID. Let's say this never went away. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Let's not, yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> We've never found um, a way to cure the common cold or a flu. We have never eradicated those things. Um, we have a vaccine that works on injecting ourselves with the flu virus and these kinds of things, but we haven't, people still get colds. They still get flus. So, I mean, I don't know. There is sort of some dystopian reality where maybe this is something that we never, vac- we, ne- we can never be vaccinated from totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you live in Tuscany, not Italy. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> the county of Tuscany. I mean, there's. I think there's one bar there. It holds way too many people yeah. than could ever gather. There's no local. No. You're, you don't even have really, unless there's you have kids, you up. probably don't know your neighbors. Like you're completely isolated inside a community that is like the size of Cochrane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a very good point.
0: You think that Calgary has such a tight knit community, but when you get outside of the inner city, it doesn't. And I mean, I can't believe I haven't thought of that in the past because I'm definitely afraid of the suburbs. Like I grew up in the suburbs, bless my parents. Like that's what they could afford. Um, and I know my parents are really good friends with all their neighbors, but that's my parents, right? They're very, um, like open and they like to make friends. So that's them, but not everybody's like that. And I know I've also lived in the suburbs when I was formerly married and hated it. And I didn't really talk to, like my neighbors weren't friendly. Um, Now I live in the Beltline and like every person that I pass walking my dog, we like start up a conversation or say hello. It's just a totally different culture down here, downtown and in the inner city. So
1: yeah, I know. Is that suburb versus, I mean, we dealt with this during um, um, Calgary 2012 when we were, Calgary was cultural capital Canada and we had this conversations all the time in terms of the urban versus suburban divide in Calgary, which is very, very particular. Like, I don't know that I mean, I guess probably a lot of sprawling cities, like a Houston or those kind of places, probably all have the same conversations in terms of the disparity between suburb and urban um, living. But how do we take, and I think this is sort of the the conversation, is how do we take that urban vision and that sort of urban community that... People in the suburbs are always poo-pooing, like it's all for latte drinkers and whatever other things they spew at urban dwellers. But how do we take that urban community where you're out walking your dog and you're seeing the people and you're going to your corner local and your, your your corner bodega and all those sorts of things in terms of creating that community? How do we take that into a city vision of how do we move forward with that sort of community feel? from a business perspective. And we talked a little bit, of, like Karen, you mentioned a little bit about that <clears throat> solopreneurs and micro businesses. And, um, we've had this conversation a lot in the past in terms of if we really f- figured out, um, how many micro-businesses and solopreneurs are actually run by women and how women are really the drivers of the economy. If you think about it, like stay-at-home moms and and women who've had to um, start a business because their husband got laid off or there's all kinds of things, but women are really the most adaptable. We are less risk-averse than men are generally and we are willing to take risks and dive into things. So how can we take that sort of micro-business, solopreneur feel of like that we know all exist because we're all in it we all are solopreneurs and we have this whole heartbeat of an economy that's existing consistently always without any sort of recognition and how how can we take how can we find a community within even the solopreneurs because I wouldn't even know how many there are in the city of Calgary there's no numeric re- like mechanism of anybody keeping track of any of this stuff so how can we even figure out where our community is as solopreneurs mm-hmm. a great question
0: Alyssa.
2: it is it's and i think it's more uh, this is a not a fully formed thought so big surprise but um <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's probably an overlay if you think about um, physical space. So for instance, if you're a dentist, you're a solopreneur and you're a dentist and you're in Arbor Lake or you're in McKenzie Town, your community are the people of Arbor Lake or McKenzie Town. You're, you're just like every neighborhood used to have a butcher and a grocer and whatever. This, th- Those were solopreneurs, micro-businesses. But when you are a communications professional, you have to become then a specialist. Specialization becomes your neighborhood, right? So you're a communications professional that specializes in social media, that specializes in social media at the tourism and travel side that specializes in experiences inside tourism and travel that specializes in small operators that offer experiences inside tourism and travel and need communication support (laughs) that's your village it's like super super now it's very tiny and then how do you talk to all those people so i think that that it's less about surfacing it because you could never really surface every mom and dad bodega grocery store corner store and more about um knowing who the people in your community are and building a reputation not based on um your uh ability to push yourself out there but based on your ability to actually serve your community so it's not just about like in PR this is terrible because what I witness is that there's a lot of you know self-promotion and it's self-promotion that kind of gets you advances your career and then you're the person promoting yourself and your clients and it's like well that's great but how good is your work how how much media attention are you getting like that you need how much give back do you do like how are you hiring and supporting other people inside that community um that we all have to kind of become as micro businesses sort of the corner store for the people that we support and i don't know that we'll ever know like what the full kind of breadth of that is but it goes back to the earlier point like does it matter because ultimately things are getting a lot smaller. Like, I just think they are. My, my sense is like from someone that has worked in the experience economy for like 25 years and much of that experience economy being tied to live performance or shared experience, which is like of 200 plus people, theater, dance, all the arts, obviously live music and festivals and things like that. It's like, there's... I'm thinking about value in a different way. I'm thinking like, see, this is why it's not a fully formed thought because now it's like <laughs> down this path. <laughs> I was during quarantine. <laughs> yeah. But um, that there's if there's value in having a shared experience of 200 plus people together in the arts, which is sort of what I've been doing. That's that's what my specialty has been around communities like that, and that's no longer. Possible? What are the other smaller ways that we connect with each other to make deeper meaningful value? And where am I in that? And how can you be small and good? Like, does it matter if I disappear from the thought of 80 or 90% of people working in Calgary, but I'm at the top of the mind of the 10% of people that are going to hire me? And what does that mean from a PR perspective? And what does that mean from my brand perspective? And should I be focusing on making personal connections one-on-one now over making things that are publicly broadly consumed? You know,
1: I don't. Well, know. Yeah, and I, I, that's probably going to be a discussion that a lot of people are having. Because, I mean, obviously, even from just a business perspective, like, I mean, networking events are gonna be no longer and um coffee chats and all the sort of things that we did um as sort of entrepreneurs that that we attended and different breakfast, luncheons, all that sort of is gonna be by the wayside. So um we do live now in the world of Zoom calls. That's great, but we were having this conversation. Um, we had a bit of a communications PR chat last night over wine and um Lana brought that up, Lana Rogers, who's a friend of ours, another PR professional in the city. And she brought up what she's doing this time is meeting with people one-on-one, like reaching out to people one-on-one, not as a way to pitch business, but just like, how are things going? Keeping the, making those connections now, like whether it's through LinkedIn or through an email or through a phone call. She said she even took a social distancing walk with someone the other day just to get out of the house and chat about things. But so... Our, our, our communities are become, going to become much smaller. And I think that one-on-one development of relationships is going to be so much more important because yeah. our, our traditional ways of networking and sort of business, businessing in quotes, mm-hmm. are no longer. So we as entrepreneurs have to figure out different ways to connect with people.
2: And frankly, we have the advantage over a Walmart or you know, uh, high steakhouse (laughs) because I can do that. Cause I don't know who highs is and I'm sure he's not going to send me something to my doorstep unless I pay for it. (laughs) Um, you know, I had a friend that, um, is just a warm hearted, beautiful person that sent seeds to people in the mail, like seed packet. So with a little note that just said, we're going to get well, we're going to get through this. In the meantime, plant something, watch it grow. See on the other side. She wrote on the envelope. I how this has been sealed with a glue stick and it's sanitarily <laughs> prepared and all that. And like, she had my home address and I opened the mailbox and I had this card and it came on earth day. I don't even, whatever. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Next level, next level. So I was like, okay, um, A, she's amazing. B, like, what a great idea. She sent me something in the mail. She had my mailing address because I've sent her an invoice before. I've made a donation to something that she worked on before. So like, it's that kind of thing that I think we have to think about how do we actually become meaningful members of our community by supporting one another in a way that's not, um, typical, doesn't need to be like food hamper kind of support, which is awesome too. Mm-hmm. Little touches. She just reached right out, gave me a letter. Like it's amazing. Um, so in a way, I think micro businesses, solopreneurs, um, we, we may come on the other side of this if we can survive if Mm -hmm. systems and governments and processes can make a small wedge for what this is Mm -hmm. and recognize it, then we may come out of it as the envy of the next kind of iteration of what businesses are. So, you know, you can have all the business leaders you want leaving a message online on a website um, and encouraging others. But meanwhile, there are these, this little kind of, town squares popping up everywhere of people that are supporting one another in a more circular economy that is tinier. Yeah. And it's the neighborhood. It's why you live in the Beltline as opposed to living in a suburban community. And, you know, it's the same people living in the Beltline as living in a suburban community. They just live in a different environment and the environment makes the entire difference. Um, Yeah. It's not universally the same people, but yeah, you could take those same people and switch them, and they will have the same experience because the environment is so omnipresent.
0: It's true. Um, and just quickly back to this conversation about um, urban versus suburban, I do have a client who, like, they have their own little community. Um, they're a little ice cream shop out in Auburn Bay, Exo Ice Cream and Waffles. They're two years young. Um, and because we've had to close down the storefront for now, We've been doing delivery and we have created this like incredible little community, um, just in and of our delivery model that has come back to us with like quotes and like words of wisdom and words of inspiration and just like moments where like you're delivering ice cream and the kids run out of the house and they're so excited. And so yeah, I think these communities can be created everywhere, and I agree that it needs to be recognized and it is kind of the next step for, for Alberta for sure. And it's been building up for a long time, just not being recognized. Mm
2: -hmm. So Mm -hmm.
0: I would like to shout out to round square though. I don't know if you guys have seen what they've been doing. So round square is uh, like a designer and home developer here in Calgary. They're amazing. They're, they've really been um, growing like crazy here in Calgary. I don't know if they're in any other markets, um, but they put together like a round square box of like in their communities that they're in, they, they have like all these different products in a box. So it's not really like a food hamper. It's like more of like, here's, here's your local products and you can buy this box, but it has like 20 different local products in it. So I just, I thought that was really great too. Like it's nothing to do with them. they just wanted to marry together these cool businesses that are in all of their communities and, and get people the awareness that they're there. So I thought that was really neat too. I think that's a good example.
1: Yeah, I think box. there's probably going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of these, um, different outside the box mm-hmm. options for, for us coming forward. I went, I went to my front door this morning just to, to go out and, um, check the eaves troughs cause I have, I have a leaky eaves trough that like we, anyway, that's a whole other thing. So I had to go check the, the eaves trough and in the front, on the front door or my my little porch area was a little bag from um, bloom salon or bloom body i think it was called and i was like what's this and i opened it up and my designer my graphic designer sent my graphic center sarah from a to z creative um sent this little care package to me like as a thank you for just hanging in there and i was like you know what like brilliant just like on my front porch didn't didn't ask for like just a a great and i I think if we all can start thinking outside the box of those little things that we can do um uh to to connect with the people who already work for us and, and do things for us that those little thank yous mean a ton and just unsolicited like whether it's a card in the mail like karen was saying or um creating community around um, showcasing the, the businesses that are in your community and putting together uh, care packages or, or purchasable products around that. I think we do have the advantage um, being small and being independent that we can, we don't have, we're not trying to like turn a huge cruise ship in a different direction. We can easily change track and easily change Course, and I think um, just as we sort of wrap things up here, if we could think of three takeaways for, for whether it's micro businesses, entrepreneurs, or even just people at home, three things that they could sort of take into this next phase of what Calgary business or Calgary's economy is what would what do you think that would be karen like what are three things that people could do or people could um work towards in this new direction we're taking in terms of people over profit and i think that's a big key to where we're going the shift of where we're going economically is that people are going to take a, a way bigger part of the direction of the economy um, over profit
2: yeah uh, well yes and um you know, two thirds of Canadians are stressed, right? So yes. this is like right up there. So I think one is make space. It's, it's important to talk and be there for one another, but it's also important to create immediate space for people. So let people be who they are right now. Don't necessarily. Jump on people for their emotional responses. I think that's one thing we can do just to patiently love each other in some weird way in this virtual world. Mm -hmm. The other is think very carefully about who you are down the street and around the corner. So I'm talking about your immediate street that you live in, but also your immediate business community. So who are your down the street, around the corner, clients and colleagues? And how are you making your business and physical neighborhood better? That's really important, right? Right now. And I think for a very, very long time to come. And then, um, the third thing is don't, don't worry about being the loudest voice in a very loud and confusing time. Like, I think that, um, it's iterative and we have a lot of fear and we're losing, you know, we're watching our businesses and others erode, but, um, you can't react in real time. You have to think about the future in a different way. So people are going to want to be comforted. People are going to want to spend less. People are going to want human, connection that's meaningful people are not going to be able to have shared experience in the same way what does that mean for your business and spend your time getting ready to make a response when the time is right to be able to do that
0: that's a great advice
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah i know we're both sort of stunned we're sort of sitting here like just
1: taking- <laughs>
0: wow wow <laughs> I'm so happy that you joined us today, Karen. We've we've been so lucky to have so many amazing guests. Like right, like we just started this podcast. Like right at our inception, we've been so blessed because we have such an amazing community. But I think people really need to hear stuff like that right now, and that's that advice is just so meaningful in and of itself. So thank you for that. Um, It's what Alyssa and I preach to our clients too, all the time. So.
2: Yeah, your podcast is awesome. I'm I feel quite privileged to be yeah. part of it.
0: Well, thanks for naming it for us. Alyssa, can you tell us that story? Well, how will
1: you tell it, Karen? Of how, how the ladies how, yeah. who launch came to be.
2: Yeah, it's funny because I think I sent you that text about 10 minutes before my phone flew off the back of my motorcycle into a river somewhere in Idaho. So <laughs> we were like texting. I was at a rest stop. I was on a motorcycle trip from Las Vegas back to Calgary and, uh, yeah. And then I got, I got to text with my bestie, which is always (laughs) nice at the roadside, but you know, when you're in the helmet and someone's texting you, it's like, (laughs) like, okay, I'll get to that. Whenever, whenever the next stop is. (laughs) In like three hours. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think I put my phone on the back of the seat and then, um, yeah clue off. It yeah. <laughs> so was basically yeah. I texted her. I'm like, Dakota and I are going to start this podcast,
1: and we can't think of a name. And Dakota and I had already had like one drunken night, I think, and we were, I think, we were baffed, and we were trying to like come up with a, a name for this podcast. And we realized that in our drunken state, we hadn't written anything that was remotely usable. And so I'm like texting Karen. I'm like, can you help us come up with a name? And yeah. And so like literally 10 minutes later and you know, she's texting me from her, like the motorcycle rest of me, like ladies who launch. I was like, there you go. Did well, I gonna argue that this podcast is just as much ours as it is Karen's.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> oh no, it's all you. I listened to it.
1: <laughs> awesome. awesome. Anyway, we're so, I mean, obviously, um, we're so happy that you did this for us today and, um, and shared your infinite wisdom that I am lucky enough to get on a regular basis So know that our our listeners can also get your awesomeness is fantastic. So thank you. And, um, if anybody needs, um, any good Karen advice, uh, go check her out. Um, you can look up Karen ball online, LinkedIn website, all that stuff. And, um, she's the, probably the best person to talk to if you need, board facilitations or community investment advice or how to bring a community together, she's your person. So go, go Google Karen and you'll get all the good, the good info that we just had today. Anyway, thank thank you. you.
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Ladies Who Launch with Dakota and Alyssa. We drop new episodes every other Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating.